0: Hey, everyone, you're listening to the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast. I'm Franco Terrazano, your federal director and spokesperson for the CTF out here in Ottawa. And I'm joined by our new investigative journalist, Mr. Ryan Thorpe. Ryan, you dug up another big taxpayer story, didn't you? And uh, because of some of the action of our CTF supporters, uh, we're going to be taking some legal action against the Trudeau government. So why don't you break down your story and and some of the next steps from our advocacy?
1: Yeah, Franco, so uh, we are here at the CTF, we're taking legal action to make the Prime Minister come clean on who spent $6,000 per night on a hotel room in London during the Queen's funeral. So just as a quick refresher, last September, Queen Elizabeth uh, II's state funeral in London, someone in the Canadian delegation stayed in a $6,000 per night hotel room at the Corinthia Hotel. So this is the so-called River Suite. And the government doesn't want taxpayers to know who stayed in that room. So we filed a simple access to information request asking who stayed in the $6,000 per night hotel room. We got a response back, but it was redacted. So now we're taking legal action to force the feds to reveal who stayed
0: in that room. Folks, these government bureaucrats gave us a response back. They wrote down the name, then they blacked it out. Now they wasted your money. They owe you transparency. (laughs) So Ryan, break down for our listeners there exactly what's going on with our legal challenge.
1: So we filed a, a challenge with the Information Commissioner. Um, so by redacting the uh, ATIP, the government is bending the rules to withhold information from taxpayers. And quite frankly, we're not going to let them get away with that. Um, so the bureaucrats cited two sections of the relevant legislation that governs access to information in Canada, Section 16 and 19. Now, those sections relate to security concerns and the release of personal information. Right. But if someone works for taxpayers and spends taxpayers money, they're legally responsible to be accountable and transparent about it to taxpayers. And the law is clear um, that information like this doesn't constitute personal information under the legislation. This is this is a clear attempt to kind of skirt the rules that are in place. Uh, Global Affairs could have asked the individual who stayed in that yeah. room whether it was OK to release the information. I think it's a fair question to say, did they ask? What did the person say about this? Um, and then as as regards to the security claim, the Queen's funeral happened five months ago. So uh, I don't think that particular rationale passes the sniff test.
0: Yeah. I mean, unless the government is worried that the Terminator is going to travel back in time, I think it's, I think it's safe to say we can safely disclose who stayed in that $6,000 per night hotel room in London, England. And oh, by the way, the governor general has already said that it wasn't her who stayed in this uh, $6,000 per night river suite. So uh, if it wasn't the governor general, I don't think we need to uh, hire Sherlock Holmes to get to the bottom of this mystery. But it is a matter of principle. They wasted our money. They need to be transparent about it. And we're not going to let the government bend the rules to withhold information from taxpayers. No, 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 no. So, Ryan, let's take a little step back and let's tell our listeners just how luxurious this river suite is.
1: Yeah, well, uh, uh, kudos to the Toronto Sun for first digging up uh, details on this. So back when the story first broke, the Sun, uh, the Toronto Sun, reported the delegation had expensed nearly four hundred thousand dollars in hotel costs alone, and this included uh, the six thousand dollar per night River Suite at the Corinthia Hotel. So the Corinthia is described as one of uh, the top luxury hotels in central London, and the six thousand dollar per night suite. Boasts a, a view uh, of the River Thames, uh, a marble bathroom, and complimentary butler service. Mm, mm, uh, mm, so sounds it, nice. Yeah, it's <laughs> also <laughs> noting that there were several other, you know, top shelf chef hotels in the area that the Canadian delegation could have stayed at: uh, the Four Seasons, the Langham, the Savoy, even the Shangri La, and they all offer prices when checked that came in lower. Uh, than the Corinthia did, and which is what
0: taxpayers ultimately got billed for. You know, as much as we might joke about this, we're not saying that the prime minister or the governor general needs to stay in the motel by the airport. What we're saying is that when you could have saved money by staying at the Four Seasons or the (laughs) Shangri-La, then you know you you really spare no expense and all this coming at the taxpayer tab as well. Now, Ryan, at least... Uh, From my perspective, it seems like a big issue within this story is that covering up wasteful spending like this is becoming the rule, not the exception.
1: Yeah, I think that that's uh, spot on, Franco. I mean, spending 6 k per night on a single hotel room um, is an obvious example of this, what you're pointing to, right? Living high on the hog while traveling internationally. But this is a reoccurring theme on some of these stories that have been breaking recently about how... Federal officials are spending, you know, the hard-earned tax dollars of Canadians, right? So, um, and the, the thing that really does make it worse is that they they won't come clean about it, right? That they keep taking these steps to try and hide what's been going on. So, this is only one of many recent examples. Um, Brian Lilly, a, a Toronto Sun columnist, just broke uh, another big story that's related to this one. He got back some A tips from the government's delegation trip to New York for the United Nations General Assembly. We know the hotel the hotel costs there uh, totaled up to nearly $189,000. But other than that kind of total overall price tag, the records that were released uh, revealed next to nothing. So the government is once again citing security concerns for the reasons why they can't release details that the public is entitled to know about. Right? Once again, the event already happened. (laughs) You know, bringing up security concerns is just a total red herring.
0: Yeah, certainly doesn't pass the sniff tests. Um, but look, hey, another example, right? You talked about uh, the story, the new story broke by Brian Lilly at the Toronto Sun. But remember the other story that we've been hammering left, right and center, the governor general's Middle East trip uh, all the way back in March, 2022.
1: Yeah, and so in that case, they racked up nearly six figures on fancy airplane food, right? So government bureaucrats, they misleadingly downplayed the wasteful mm-hmm. spend by offering up kind of half-truths to, to government and, rather than meaningful reforms. Uh, the Governor-General herself said the, the meals are not very extravagant on these trips, and they're pretty much like airplane food, uh, or regular airplane meals. Well, at a parliamentary committee, Simon's deputy secretary said the costs were really shocking because we had eggs, we had omelet. <laughs> Aircraft repeatedly told the committee that they could not provide the in-flight catering receipts that, you know, these these mysteriously had disappeared. But the only problem with that was that the CTF, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, had already obtained them. Yeah, right? sure did. Yeah, and <laughs> what both showed was it wasn't the regular airplane food that, you know, average Canadians are used to, that they were dining on uh, beef wellington, uh, beef carpaccio, a stuffed pork tenderloin uh and other you know uh meals that would sound like you could read them off the dining menu of like a fine dining restaurant not
0: at the river not- Suite Maybe at the river street. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, well, Ryan, hey, man, great job. Great digging. Folks, let me just remind you that Ryan has been in this job for about 15 minutes, and he's already breaking these stories uh, and holding these big spending politicians and bureaucrats accountable. I only wish that they would just spend one-tenth of the time actually keeping an eye on their spending as they do spending time covering up their wasteful spending so folks at the canadian taxpayers federation we're going to hold these government bureaucrats whoever stayed in that six thousand dollar per night hotel room accountable we're not going to let them bend the rules withhold information from you no 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 Uh, and if you want to get involved in this fight well that'd be great head over to taxpayer.com learn how you can get involved and also check out that great story that ryan dug up Here with my friend and colleague who's holding down the fort in Ontario, Jay Goldberg. Jay, I want to talk about Bill C-11, all right, the online censorship bill. It looks like we might see a little rumble in the jungle between the House (laughs) and the Senate over this bill, Bill C-11. Jay, why don't you break down where we are with this bill and, and what might be happening next?
2: yeah so funny enough you know this is the government censorship bill we are trying to stand against it uh and we are but the senate the senate and our key senators it might be the last line of defense we have for free speech and free expression online in canada the senate is standing up and they are not taking what the house of commons is trying to shove down their throat they're not taking it uh you know the minister of heritage pablo rodriguez He keeps talking about C-11. He says, there's nothing to see here. All we want is to promote Canadian culture. This is going to be fantastic. But look, there's senators who are just not convinced. And let me give you three quick quotes from three senators who are in different Senate caucuses. Uh, They're not all conservatives. These are three different senators, two of them in independent caucuses. So Senator David Adam Richards, he's a prize-winning author. People all across the country know him for his books, and uh, he said about C-11 that it's a horrid bill and he doesn't want any hierarchical politico deciding what men and women should be able to write. Uh, Senator Pamela Wallin, who she spent years in journalism. Uh, You know, there's a bit of a scandal she had in the Senate, but a long, long time in journalism. And she is asking a very good rhetorical question, which is, you know, should any government or organization in a democracy be given the authority to override my choices or the choices of users everywhere. And then you got to love Senator Leo Sockes, who is saying instead of consumers deciding what shows up in their feeds, it will be the government. We don't want bureaucrats and gatekeepers at the CRTC deciding what we watch and they don't want to lose their grip on power. So we've got senators on all sides, raising the alarm uh, and they're not taking this lying down.
0: Yeah, seems like some of these senators are really fired up. Love some of those quotes that you just rattled out, r- rattled off. OK, so you got to help us understand kind of, kind of a distinction here, right? What's the difference in what the Senate wants to see out of C-11 and what the House of Commons wants to see out of C-11? What's the difference?
2: Right. So C-11 does two very negative things, the version that came out of the House uh, bill. So the first thing it does is it filters and influences what comes up on your streaming feeds. The second thing is it filters and influences what comes up on your social media. What the Senate has done is they took a lot more time to look at the bill. You know, the bill was rammed through the House. When the Senate, they realized that, I mean, at minimum, Our user-generated content, the stuff we post or see on social media, that should not be filtered by the government. The CRTC shouldn't be able to, you know, look at what uh, influence what we're gonna see on TikTok or influence what comes up on our Facebook. And so the Senate very wisely adopted an amendment to the bill that says we're not giving the CRTC and the government the power to filter what you see on social media or what you can say. So that's a huge amendment. Obviously, the bill is still not perfect. The Senate bill still allows them to filter what comes up on our streaming feeds. We don't want to see that, of course, but this is huge. The fact that the Senate is standing up and saying, we don't want Canadians to have their social media influenced and filtered by government bureaucrats sitting in Ottawa. So this is a big deal. uh, And, uh, you know, we can also talk further. All of a sudden, very recently, we're seeing some rumbling outside of, of Quebec Uh, There's some unhappiness here at the 11th hour. So it's good to see the Senate standing up and there could be other challenges to this bill, too.
0: Uh, Okay. You said in Quebec, what's going on there with Quebec and their premier, Francois Legault?
2: So Legault, he's very, very popular in Quebec. You know, every political party in the last election was trying to win his favor. The last federal election was trying to win his favor. Uh, You know, he's got very high approval ratings. And he's very defensive over Quebec culture. And so he brought up a vote in the National Assembly in Quebec, which is the provincial legislature. And unanimously, they all voted to say they wanted changes to C-11 so that Quebec could have more control over the content that Quebecers are seeing and not having uh, bureaucrats in Ottawa make that decision. So, uh, you know, obviously, they're still looking for government control on the Quebec side. Uh, look, we don't want to see the government controlling streaming feeds or social media feeds, whether it's you know provincial governments or federal governments. We don't want to see this. But the implication is that if the province of Quebec is demanding that they have control over what we what Quebecers see on social media and on streaming feeds, that means the bill has to be you know basically ripped apart and started again. And so that could kill Bill C eleven and force the government to try it once again. And remember, this is their second attempt to get this censorship through. They tried with C-10. Uh, they didn't get it in before the last election. They're trying with C-11. If they have to make this change for Premier Legault, they'll have to go another time. And hopefully, if we can kill C-11, they'll just give up after this. We'll see, but this could be huge.
0: Well, it's good to hear uh, another politician lend their voice to the opposition against the federal government's online censorship bill. But I do want to shift gears just ever so slightly here and talk about some of the major Canadians who are not politicians that are against Bill C-11.
2: Yeah, so one of the big ones, Margaret Atwood, she had a very powerful quote on C-11. I think a lot of people saw it online, were very uh, influenced by it. It was shared a lot. Uh, Michael Geist highlighted it for me, Dr. Michael Geist, University of Ottawa. Uh, So here's a quote that Atwood said on Bill C-11, and this is her quote. I'll quote it directly. All you have to do is read some biographies of writers writing in the Soviet Union and the degrees of censorship they had to go through government bureaucrats. It is creeping totalitarianism if government is telling creators what to create, unquote. That is pretty profound coming from Margaret Atwood, who uh, you know, is not always the government critic, uh, someone who is celebrated on all sides, I think, of the house and the political spectrum for some of the work she's done. Uh, we have pop artist, Tester is an Indian Canadian out of Regina, uh, who has said repeatedly his career never would have taken off if Bill C11 was in place. because what Bill C11 does is it might amplify Canadian content at home. But that inherently means it's going to quiet that content abroad. And so we won't have Canadian artists being discovered outside of Canada in the way that we have had up to this point, if C-11 is law. And so by implication, that actually means people like Justin Bieber, people like Drake, they haven't directly spoken out against Bill C-11 themselves, but they're in the same boat as Tescher. They may not have been discovered if C-11 was on the books. And I'll leave you with one last quote from comedian Darcy Michael, he came out and said, look, I'm Canadian. So I'm Canadian content. And he's dead on. We don't need overpaid bureaucrats in Ottawa in fancy suits running up and down the halls, making hundreds of thousands of dollars to decide what is Canadian and what we should watch and what we should see, what we should see. We know, uh, the creators know, and we don't need Ottawa getting in the way and telling us that.
0: Sure. Don't sure. Don't. So, Jay, you said uh, there's going to be a little bit of a showdown between our uh, House of Col- uh, House of Commons members of Parliament and the senators. Um, but, you know, specifically, what can we expect next? Like, what are the next steps? What's happening?
2: So it looks like in early March, this could come to a vote. Now, I'll say the Legodos has broken in the last few days, maybe week. And so it could be that the government's, you know, figuring out exactly how they want to go forward. But. As it was a few days ago, the plan was early March. It's going to be brought to the House of Commons. But look, the House of Commons is going to have to decide. The way it works is both chambers, the House and the Senate, have to pass the same version of the bill. The Senate passed a version of the bill with the amendment that takes out user generated content. So either the House can accept the amendment and vote to accept it. uh, And then, you know, you get Bill C-11, but without the regulation of social media, or the House can demand that the Senate just accept what the House wants, allow for the regulation of social media. Uh, But again, the Senate doesn't necessarily have to say yes to that. So we could be in for an unprecedented situation, Uh, but we've been putting pressure on uh, Government House Leader Mark Holland. Uh, We've been demanding, and we're encouraging our supporters to demand that he ensure that if they're putting that vote to the floor in the House of Commons, that they accept the Senate amendment because we cannot see a situation North should we, where we have our social media, what we see, what we can, uh, what we view, how we interact with other people that should not be influenced or filtered by the government. So I would encourage anyone on tech, Mark Holland. He's the guy who's going to decide whether or not the amendment goes into the house of commons version of the bill. So anyone listening, email Mark Holland. we can put his email in the show notes, He's got to know that at minimum, we want to see social media out of this bill.
0: Well, Jay, thanks so much for uh, holding these politicians accountable and keeping their feet to the fire. And folks, it's coming down to the wire. If you haven't taken action yet. Now is the time. Yesterday was the time, but today is as good as ever. So here's a few things that you can do. As Jay mentioned, fire off an email to mark Har- Mark Holland. Sorry, he is the liberal member of Parliament, also a uh, the leader of the House of the Government in the House of Commons. Um, call your member of Parliament. That's another thing that you can do. Give them a call, send them an email, tell them to speak out against this online censorship. And of course, head over to taxpayer.com, sign the petition, and share it with your friends and family so more Canadians can get in on this fight and protect freedom of expression.
3: Scott Hennig here, President CEO of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. I've uh, booted our normal hosts out of their chairs because this is uh, this is my two favorite topics, beer and taxes. And I was I was, you know, I was scrolling LinkedIn the other day, I saw a post raising concerns about the federal escalator tax on, on alcohol. It happened to be written by the CEO of Moosehead Breweries, Andrew Oland. Now, I reached out to Andrew, he's agreed to chat more about this, about beer, taxes, Canada's largest family owned brewery, and he's with me today. So thank you for joining me today, Andrew.
4: Thanks Scott, my pleasure to be here. Now, I, I would love just
3: to get right into taxes, but I think it's probably useful to introduce Moosehead to our audience. So. Uh, when did it start? Who started it, and where do you brew your beer? Yeah, in uh,
4: 1865, uh, Susanna Olin, that would be my great, great, great grandmother. So three greats. Uh, she left Canada with her, or left England with her nine children uh, for Halifax, pursuing the Canadian dream before Canada was a country. Uh, she arrived in Halifax. She was able to secure some uh, funding. And she and her, and she'd been a brewer, uh, as many women were at the time, and she'd been a a brewer back in England. And so in 1867, the same year that the country began, uh, Susanna and her husband John started S. Oland and Sons Brewing. And uh, here we are, 155 plus years later. uh, You know, Susanna and the family uh, dealt with a number of issues through the first uh, few years. But she was able to, uh, to prosper. And then each generation has, uh, has uh, dealt with everything from, you know, the Halifax explosion to my grandfather going off to World War II. Uh, and obviously, uh, you know, a little bit of a pandemic in the last few years. But we've all had some, some ups and downs. So we are located in uh, St. John, New Brunswick. That's where our corporate head office is. Uh, we do have a very small brewery uh, in suburban Toronto, but the vast majority of the beer that we brew comes out of uh, our facility here in St. John.
3: So I, I, I've always considered Moosehead a, a, an Atlantic beer. I mean, I, I guess uh, that's just maybe it's just me, but whenever I have someone move in from Atlantic Canada in my, in my cul-de-sac, I go and buy them a case of Moosehead and I make them feel at home. Uh, but I don't know, where where do you sell most of your Moosehead beer?
4: So it, it's it's interesting. In, in the early 60s, my father went to a speech in the the uh, logo above the speaker said "Export or Die," and uh, about 15 years later, we started selling in the United States. And we were selling in the United States before we were selling in the rest of Canada. So we were only in, in, the, in the maritime provinces in the United States. And then, as interprovincial trade barriers have evolved and uh, and slightly loosened over the last 25 years. Um, we're now selling across Canada and uh, and our top market, not surprisingly, would be the province of Ontario just because of of, of the size. Uh, and then we still have a, have a nice business uh, here on the East Coast and are, are growing in the rest of Canada.
3: Now, i I'm sorry, I've heard that uh, Thailand is a big market. Is that true? I, maybe this is one one of my directors said to me, he's asking about Thailand because I was in Thailand and you can get moose head anywhere. Is that true?
4: Um, it may have been at one point, uh, we have a, we have a sort of a opportunistic, uh, international business. We do about, uh, we're in about 15 different countries, uh, right now. Um, and they are, uh, they are all over the world from, uh, you know, from South America, Central America through to Europe, through to, uh, through to Asia. A lot of it just depends on getting the right importer relationship as well as the shipping lanes and how that works out. Okay. Fair enough.
3: Um, still fa- So is it still family owned?
4: Moosehead is still uh family owned. So, uh, my father Derek is our uh, executive chairman and he's, uh, he's generation five and, uh, my brother Patrick is CFO and I'm CEO. And so we're generation, uh, we're generation six and we are the, uh, Patrick and I are the shareholders. And then we've had, uh, Six of the 11 uh, Generation 7 members have worked at the brewery in one fashion or another as a summer student, and, oh. uh, and we're working hard to, to get to Generation 7.
3: Uh, good for you. Well, now, surely you've had offers from one of the big companies come in, buy you up. Is that something that, that you or one of the other Olins in the past has, has ever seriously considered?
4: Yeah. I mean, we, we have uh, we have these overtures from time to time and uh, and uh, you know, the bigger players in the industry are, uh, they always make themselves make it known that if they want to, uh, if we ever wanted to have a chat, that they'd be very receptive to that conversation. But, you know, we're uh, we're very proud. Uh, if you think right now in Canada, there's about a thousand breweries uh, and of those thousand four uh go coast to coast uh in terms of having a full portfolio across so i'd be obviously labat molson Sleeman, which are all uh divisions of multinationals main divisions of multinationals and so we would be the fourth in size much smaller than the other ones obviously but fourth in size and so we're very proud to be you know, uh, the largest canadian brewery
3: oh well, good for you owned okay. by canadians now that's that's excellent um, let's talk about cost structure. And I don't I'm not asking you to give any competitive secrets away here. But, but what goes into getting a beer from start to finish? And I'm not I'm not looking for like recipes, but more like if I go to the, my local liquor store, pick up a 12 pack of moose head. How much of that is cost for ingredients and labor, packaging, transport profit for you and the liquor store owner? And then how much of that is going to various governments?
4: So. Um... I'm glad you're sitting down, Scott, and uh, hopefully your listeners are sitting down because uh, in the U.S., there's about $4 per case. And the case is a 24-pack of 355 ml cans, so a 24-pack of cans. There's about $4 of combined state and federal taxes on uh, on 24 cans of beer. Believe it or not, in Canada, that number a case and so uh, about 47 percent of the cost of uh, beer in canada is taxes and it's actually above 50 percent uh, in some provinces so if you think about you know you're going to uh you're going to your local store and uh uh in alberta there and you're going to buy something it's probably in the th- $35, $36, $37 for, for a 24-pack. Um, you know, the, the margin for the brewer as well as for the retailer, as well as all the costs, have to come out of that second half of the cost.
3: Okay. So there's two governments though. So you've got the federal government and you've got the provincial government, and then you've got both their taxes, but also you've got the markups, which effectively act as the same thing as taxes. So can you break that down even further for me? Who's getting what chunk of that, uh, of that? And and how does it break out?
4: Yeah. The, 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 $20 is roughly 25% uh, feds and 75% provincial. Um, It's, it's that's, that's the, that's the rough breakdown uh, that, you know, the feds are getting it through, through the excise tax, which is the purpose of this call as well as their portion of the, of the HST, The provinces, it varies, but they're getting their portion of the HST. And then from province to province, it's either a straight tax or it's some type of of markup. It just depends on the province that you are are in in Canada. For example, in some provinces in Canada, every time we raise our price, the province just raises it the same amount. So if if we raise our price, if the price of beer goes up a buck, then the brewer is getting a little less than 50 cents. Hmm. And, and so and, the taxes we have in beer in Canada, you know, they would be among the highest in the world. Uh, they would be up there with the Scandinavian countries. And uh, yeah, it's, it's unbelievably high taxes.
3: And and your taxes is both federally and provincially are based on how much, correct me if I'm wrong, how much you're brewing in a year. Is that like, so you're, it's based on the the hectoliters and the, and the, the amounts yes. bigger brewers pay higher taxes than smaller brewers. Is that right?
4: So um, at the federal level, uh, there's a sliding scale. So uh, we would all pay the same amount on, you know, the, the first uh, a relatively small number of hectoliters, 10,000 hectoliters or so. Um, and then uh, above that, we're all paying the same. So there is a, there is a, a discount and there's an incentive and, a, and it helps the smaller brewers, uh in most provinces that exists but that if you're above a certain size then that doesn't apply to you and you pay the full amount on the uh on the whole on, on all of your sales and that would be the case for us for example in new brunswick we're local in new brunswick um we're paying our full markup on every hectoliter we sell and we've got small competitors who would have a discount on the first fifteen thousand they sell
3: and I, I made a note for myself. Do not use the word hectoliter because people don't drink their beer in hectoliters. At least we hope they're not drinking their beer in hectoliters. So what? And I'm sorry. Maybe I'm putting you on the, on the spot here to do the math. But what? How many how many cans or how many cases of beer are in a hectoliter?
4: Yeah, roughly divided by twelve. That's a hectoliter is 12 two-fourths.
3: Twelve two fours. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Thank you. And I, I I'll stop using the word hectoliter because I, I can hear, I can hear the, uh, it's, <laughs> eyes glaze over there. It's,
4: yeah, uh, it's the, it's the industry, it's the industry number and I'm not going to try to, uh, I am going to give these numbers. So example, so the highest combined sort of federal and provincial taxes would be in PEI at about $26, uh, actually $26 a case, uh, lowest to be in the province of Quebec at $12 and 72 cents. And uh, it's interesting in New Brunswick, uh, our price are, are about $21 and 72 cents. The price of a case of beer is, is combined federal and provincial taxes. And in Quebec, it's only $12 and 72 cents. So surprise, a lot of people in New Brunswick who live close to the Quebec border buy their beer in Quebec for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> and know we estimate that somewhere between 15 and 20 percent of the beer that's consumed in the province of new brunswick is actually uh is actually purchased in quebec so it's just a very living example of what happens when you have uh, taxes that are too high and out of uh, whack with your neighbors
3: yeah i think the same same thing in the city of ottawa i don't know anyone who buys their beer in the city of ottawa they drive across the across the river to gatineau or hull and buy their beer there it's uh pretty common practice and I mean incentives matter taxes matter and and you know that's that's why we're that's why we're chatting about it so you've, you've answered my next question about which provinces uh, charge the most and is just to clarify too on the difference between some that have taxes some that have markups is it mostly because you have some that are government-owned liquor stores and some that are private owned liquor stores
4: yeah exactly that would be that would be the difference but the markup just is a it, it flows through the provincial uh, liquor board to the, uh, to the, the province in profits.
3: Right. Just another way to say tax. Yeah, okay. Exactly. So let's move on to the escalator tax. That's the one that you were writing about and the one that, uh, that is most uh, urgent right now. Um, just for a primer, for someone who hasn't heard about this yet, what, what is it, when did it come in and how does it work?
4: Yeah. So, uh, some of your listeners might remember in 1992 that was when the GST was introduced, and the idea there was to get rid of taxes on manufacturers. Uh, the federal government decided at the time that they would still keep uh, the federal excise tax, which is in which is in effect a, a tax on brewers, uh, in place. And so, since '92, we've had this uh, excise tax, and what that means is that for every case or every hectoliter of beer that we uh, that we brew, we have to send Ottawa a check. And so, uh, in 2017, Finance Minister Bill Morneau decided that that wasn't good enough, and that he wanted more money, and so that that was going to that. Uh, tax was going to increase by CPI each year. And so now uh, we have a a tax uh, that's uh, that is increasing and, and it's a real challenge for any manufacturer because in effect, we're asked to be the government's tax collector. Mm -hmm. Right. right? Like if I don't like the, the high taxes on beer, but if the government wants to introduce, increase the taxes on beer every year, then they should do it. They shouldn't ask me to be their tax collector. And that's what's happening with this escalator.
3: So it's, it's going, been in since 2017. It's been going up every year, though, and that's compounding. So do you know what the, what the compound increase in the federal tax has been since it's been introduced?
4: Yeah. So, um, so for example, for Moosehead uh, in 2017, it was about $10 million expense a year. And then next year, it will be uh, over $14 million. Wow. And for, you know, small companies such as Moosehead, we have paid cumulatively since 2018, we've paid seven and a half million dollars of incremental tax.
3: Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's real money. I mean, that's, uh, you know that's uh, that that's gonna make a difference. Um, wow
4: yeah and and you know it's 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 sort of interesting when when this was first introduced, you got things like, well, you know inflation's only you know one and a half, two percent a year. right you know it's only you know half a cent a can like you, you start to hear these sound bites and stuff. You know, of course, you know, we're filling at a thousand cans a minute. So you take half a penny and you have to buy a thousand cans a minute. It adds, it's, it adds up. It's real money, right? It's, it's, it's over a million dollars a month for us. Um, but then uh, the other thing is, you know, no one anticipated that inflation would be so high. And so we already have the number from the, the federal government. So uh, it's going to be a 6.3 percent increase that will yeah. go into effect uh, April 1st. Uh, unless, uh, unless there's some uh, decision by the, the government, we're asking government to just freeze the tax. Um, you're, and, you're being uh, too
3: nice. You're being too nice, Anna. They should repeal it all the way back.
4: Well, that's that's certainly uh, that's <laughs> that's what we'd love to see. Um, but uh, yeah, our, our 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 formal request is please freeze the escalator.
3: Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, you're right. I mean, and it's, it's, it's bad enough when inflation's at one or 2%, it's really, really bad when, when you're hitting, you said 6.3%, right?
4: Yeah. That that's, is, that's the number it's big, You know, it's sort of, it's, it's, it's not going to change unless they make some type of uh, decision to, to, to freeze, it will be 6.3% in, in April 1st.
3: And is it also 6.3% for like wine and spirits? Are they also impacted?
4: Well, this is Canada, right? So, of course, it's a little complicated. So, uh, it is for spirits. Uh, so, they'd be treated the same as, as, uh, as beer. For, domestic, for foreign wine, so imported wine, uh, it, is, it will also be the same. But for the domestic wine, they will pay it. But then there's a program in place which essentially rebates them back the amount that they paid.
3: No. <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs>
3: All right. Well, you're not going to get uh, us lobbying for a program like that, but we will certainly uh, be pushing for them to repeal this and repeal it all the way back to 2017. It's, uh, you know, they've, they've never stood up and, and voted in favor of this uh, each year since then. It's really it's really an unaccountable tax. Um,
4: so, I mean, and I think, Scott, that's a yeah. that's a really good point is that you um, you know this. Uh, this just happens. It's automatically. It's it, it doesn't require a vote of parliament because it was passed par- once by parliament, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know we live in a democracy and typically taxes each year have to be have to be voted on and particularly in a world where the you know the federal government uh, does not have a majority.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, this was put in a place in a in a whole different government. And and that continues. That's right. Yeah, I haven't thought about that. That's a really good point.
4: And so, you know, if they I'm not sure, I'm pretty sure if they had to put this single issue to a vote, they wouldn't get it through Parliament.
3: Yeah, you're probably right. Well, and we would certainly if we knew that was coming to a vote, we'd certainly get people uh, harassing their MPs. But I mean, so so we we can maybe get people fired up about this, but I got to say, most big beer company CEOs aren't willing to publicly criticize the government like you did recently, like you're doing now, and like you've done on LinkedIn. Why speak out now?
4: Well, I've been, you know, this has been a sort of my top issue with with anyone associated with the federal government since 2017. And I've had I've had multiple conversations, written multiple letters with a with a plethora of uh, of MPs and cabinet ministers and obviously have not been successful uh, in terms of the issue. And uh, this is a real issue for the beer industry in Canada. And so, um, you know, I feel very comfortable with. Uh, uh, speaking out about it uh, from time to time. We have various elected officials who, who like to visit the brewery and we're happy to host uh, uh, regardless of the, the political affiliation. So we can they can learn more about us and they can learn more about the Canadian brewing industry. And so uh, feel very comfortable telling this story. And, you know, it's it's interesting you. you when you talk to various government officials, you, you, you do get a sense of support and you do get a sense of traction, but we just mm-hmm. can't seem to get the puck in the net on this one in terms of uh, freezing the escalator.
3: Well, that's fair. Well, I guess if, if you've got, we've got fans of your product listening right now, what advice would you give them to help keep the costs of, of the product they like going up due to the escalator tax?
4: I have one really, really simple ask. If they could just reach out to their MP, whether it's a text, whether it's a call, whether it's an email, and just ask them to freeze the SI's tax on beer.
3: Great advice. And that's the same advice I'd give as well. And and I'm I'm really glad to hear you say that. Andrew, I wanna thank you. And I also need to thank you. uh, There's a a kind of a unique personal thank you. Our our vice president uh, of communications, Todd McKay lives in Moose Jaw. Uh, he asked if I would say thank you to you uh, personally for uh, uh, paying for the the increased antlers on their moose. Uh, uh, before I let you go, what's do you know? What, tell me the story about this.
4: Yeah, this is this is classic. Um, apparent, you know, the, the the moose and moose jaw's been there for many many years as a symbol of uh, of moose jaw, uh, a great uh, Canadian uh, city. And then I think it was I think it was Norway. Think this, that's right. Uh this this uh town in Norway decided they want a bigger moose and so um went back and forth a little bit and so we were able to uh help the community and come in with some support so the moose could I don't know if you call it a moose or what but anyhow <laughs> the, the moose's antlers were enhanced uh the Norwegians agreed to a truce so the moose jaw moose is uh is the largest in the in the world and uh Great to support that uh, fabulous community and just have a little bit of fun.
3: Well, Todd, Todd is thankful. Uh, I don't I don't think his house is in the, uh, the shadow of the antlers, so uh, he's happy and uh, wanted to pass along that thanks as well. So thank you, Andrew. This has been really, uh, really interesting, and uh, hopefully we can get some traction on this issue with a uh, lot more beer drinkers pushing their MPs. So thanks so much, and keep up the good work.
4: Thanks so much, Scott. Really appreciate the support of you and your team and all your listeners and supporters. Thank you.
3: You know, this is a fight the Canadian Taxpayers Federation has been on since the escalator tax was first introduced. In addition to beer, wine, and spirits getting hit with this tax, you know, our worry has always been that the feds might look to expand this concept of automatically hiking taxes every year. I'd encourage our audience to sign the petition calling for an end to this escalator tax. There'll be a a link in the bio, or the show notes, or whatever the smart people who put this thing together will uh, will put it, so it'll be easy to find. Trust me. Thanks, everybody.